0: Well, if we haven't met, my name is John Robinson. I'm one of the pastors here at Liberty. It's my joy to be with you this morning and to open God's word with you. Um, What we got to talk about with our children is what we're gonna be talking about today in our series on doctrine, our founding documents, our, our doctrine and confessional statement. Uh, If you want to know about liberty, what we believe and why we believe it, uh, it is found in our confessional statement. You can find that on our website. You can also find that we have adopted the doctrinal and confessional statement from the Gospel Coalition. So you can also find that on their website, thegospelcoalition.com, I believe. So uh, you can look there. We are um, in our, gosh, it's the fourth week Um, in what we're going to be speaking about um, this summer. And so uh, this morning we get the opportunity to discuss the creation of humanity, uh, a light topic for a summer day. So uh, if you don't mind, if you'll grab your Bibles, turn with me um, to Genesis chapter 1. If you have those black hardback Bibles, we're on page (laughs) 1. Yes, I've been waiting to say that for so long. I was hoping, you know, some Bibles, you know, Genesis 1 starts on like page like 7 because they're trying to meet some kind of quota, but we start on page 1, so I was very happy about that. Uh, it was easy to memorize. Um, I know many, many of us have um, smartphones, right? Many of us have a smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, God bless you, like, you have not, you have not, like, you're not caved to the pressures that exist, uh, but many of us have smartphones, and, and, and in having a smartphone, uh, that phone is capable of a lot of things, right? It's, it's somewhat complicated. When you first get it, like when you f- first unboxed uh, that cell phone, uh, and you haven't had like your child or your grandchild there with you to help you work through how to set that up, it's a little overwhelming, all right? I remember the first time opening up my, uh, my iPhone and going, wow, this thing is this thing's got a lot of capacity here of, you know, this was the, the, uh, the iPhone 3g was my first iPhone. Um, uh, many of you are like, yes, I had one of those. It was very exciting. Uh, it was, it was a great day to be alive. And so like opening those up, like you have those things and, um, and, and having a technology like that is, uh, like I said, it can be a little overwhelming when you're first getting used to them. Uh, they're capable of a lot. You can download different things. It has multiple and, 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 and complicated capacities of, of how the, the cellular system works and how the Wi-Fi works and shutting some of those things off and um, putting it on mute. Putting it on mute. Like, it's a good gift, guys. Um, but figuring out how all of that works is, is somewhat complicated. Uh, in the same way... Uh, a good and proper understanding of how that kind of technology works is gonna be helpful for you to utilize it, to, to use it to its fullest capacity, to make it helpful for you, knowing what its limitations are, um, understanding that your cell phone, for the most part, unless you have a specific case on it, is not submersible underwater. Like, do not get it near water. You'll have to stick it in rice and pray and sometimes that doesn't even work, and you have to go get a new one, and they're expensive. So knowing the limitations of that device is important. In the same way, Understanding our theology of who we are and how God has created us is really important to understand our limitations, to understand also how we can uh, fully live lives that are honoring and glorifying to God. And so in doing so, we really need to uh, take a look at what scripture says about that. Uh, We've, last week and the week before, we talked about God's revelation to us the necessity of God's revelation, uh, the reason why we have God's revelation, and it is for our good and our flourishing. And so we, in everything that we believe and everything that we do, we must go back and see and examine what scripture has to say about it. So this morning, we're going to be delving into a topic that is, uh, in our day and age, a a controversial one, to say the least, one that is um, convoluted in in a lot of layers of of what people believe, even inside of the church. But our authority and what we believe and why we believe these things uh, must be grounded in what Scripture says. Not what culture dictates, but what scripture says. So this morning, we're gonna do a couple things. I'm gonna read first for you our confessional statement on the creation of humanity, uh, and we are gonna be in Genesis 1. So let me read this first um, for you, and it is up on the screen. We believe that God created human beings, male and female, in his own image. Adam and Eve belonged to the created order that God himself declared to be very good. Serving as God's agents to care for, manage, and govern creation, living in holy and devoted fellowship with their maker men and women equally made in the image of God enjoy equal access to God by faith in Christ Jesus and are both called to move beyond passive self-indulgence to significant private and public engagement in family, church, and civic life. Adam and Eve were made to complement each other in a one flesh union that establishes the only normative pattern of sexual relations for men and women such that marriage ultimately serves as a type of union between Christ and his church in God's wise purposes men and women are not simply interchangeable but rather they complement each other in mutual mutually enriching ways God ordains that they assume distinctive roles which reflect the loving relationship between Christ and the church, the husband exercising headship in a way that displays the caring, sacrificial love of Christ, and the wife submitting to her husband in a way that models the love of the church for her Lord. In the ministry of the church, both men and women are encouraged to serve Christ and to be developed in their full potential in the manifold ministries of the people of God. The distinctive leadership roles within the church given to qualified men is grounded in creation, fall, redemption, and must be sidelined by appeals to cultural developments. That's a lot. And we're going to get into that this morning. So, uh, if you will... Now look with me, and what we're going to do is we're going to kind of, we're going to, we're going to have some points. We're going to look at our confessional statement, the application of the confessional statement, and the scripture combined. Uh, we will be in Genesis 1:26, and we are going to be reading um, Genesis 1:26 through 2:25 this morning. Uh, we will be jumping around through there. There are some pieces that we will skip over. But let me start in verse 26 of chapter one. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and every beast on the earth and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from all of his work that he had created. Now these are the generations of the heavens of the earth that were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens, the earth and the heavens. Jump with me now down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, and this is actually a song, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Blessed be the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Creator God, you sustain us uh, in every way with food, with air, with sun, with rain. Uh, You have created this world uh, for your glory and your namesake. God, this morning as we read your words, as we let your words wash over us, uh, Lord, give us wisdom, give us insight. Let it not just be something that's familiar for us, but God, let it it be something that transforms the way we think and respond to your glorious name. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. This morning, there are uh, four points that I'd love for us to discuss and go through. Yes, four. That's usually like one more than, than, than usual. So... Hang with me. I love you, church. Let's do this. Point one will be the relationship between the creator and the created. Point two, the unique value of humanity above other creation. Point three, the uniqueness of both male and female. And point four, the brokenness that exists that we try to live in light of Scripture's revelation. Our first point this morning, the relationship between the Creator and the Created. In our doctrinal confessional statement, it says we believe that God created human beings, male and female, in his own image. Adam and Eve belong to the created order that God Himself declared to be very good, serving as God's agents for care, care for, manage, and govern governing creation, living in holy and devoted fellowship with their Maker. You can directly correlate that confessional statement with Genesis 1, 26 through 31. As confessional Christians, everything that we know can be put into two categories, the creator and the created. This distinction, although simple, is profound and I would argue difficult to submit to. It's profound because we are recognizing that there is a power greater than ourselves, a creator, a superior being who, might I add, confirms his existence through his communication. But the fact is, um, to understand and to even think that there is a God affirms the existence of God. Immanuel Kant, a philosopher, said basically like we can only fathom the things that are within our reach and understanding. To even think that there is a God is confirmation for us that God exists because without his existence, we could not even fathom of it, okay? Now that's just philosophical talk, but in some ways it affirms the idea that, that God exists because to even think that there is a God must We must have a capacity for that somewhere in our history and somewhere in our faculties. Secondly, it is difficult to submit to this fact that there are two categories, creator and created, um, because of our own fallenness. Even as confessing Christians who would affirm and recognize these two categorical distinctions, living in light of the truth of these distinctions is profoundly difficult because we, like our first father, Adam, would prefer to live as equals and be like God rather than submit constantly to his loving will. Thus is the, the conflict that exists within each of us to... To follow our flesh and not follow the spirit. But more on that rebellion later. Uh, We see here in Genesis chapter 1 a glimpse into heaven. Let's not read through this so fast that we ignore the fact that we are now entering into a divine conversation between the triune God about his decision to create humanity that's this is like this is insider info right if there ever was any we have this glimpse into heaven to a conversation between the father son and holy spirit in verse 26 of chapter 1 and god said this he said let us make man in our image Let us make man in our image. He is creating um, a, a, a world, a universe, a galaxy. And he doesn't confer much about what he's going to make. He speaks and things happen. And yet he confers and he said, Let us make man in our image. That alone, uh, if you don't miss the the subtle uh, linguistic change right there, it is not I will make man in my image. It is let us make man in our image so we get a glimpse of Trinitarian theology right here in Genesis chapter 1. We don't have to wait to see the Trinity later at Jesus' baptism, which is the other place where we see the triune God uh, appear and be present, but we see here let us make man in our image There's a making, there's a distinction, a a divine fingerprint upon humanity that is not on anything else in all of creation. God, the perfectly existing, triune, ruling, reigning, holy, and eternal God, decides that after all of his creation of making dolphins and ants and elephants and horses and flamingos, and yes, the platypus, creating not only planets and galaxies, but he takes all of this creative energy of of just the beauty and expanse of what he has made, and he says, let us make the pinnacle of creation. Let's make human beings in our image, in our likeness. This is unbelievable. The pinnacle of his creation is not some majestic, uh, mystical being like a dragon or a unicorn. It's us. It's humanity. We are made in the image of God. We are unlike anything else in all of creation. Not making us gods, not in his essence, but making us like him making us to reflect both male and female the image and likeness of God, that together, male and female, we might reflect our Creator. By putting His image and likeness on us, we are set apart above all of creation. Not even the angels are made in His image. Of all created beings, humanity is made in the image of God. This is not a class of people. This is not a race of people. It is all of humanity. Every single human being on the planet is made in the image of God, both who have been born and created and who will be born and created all have a distinct right as human beings to be of immense value. Because nothing else in all of humanity, no matter how close the ape is in relation to humanity, it is a created being and does not have the imprint of the invisible God. Humanity alone, humanity alone has his image. It is also important for us to note, and this is just a bonus, like this is a free one, um, that uh, if you'll note in, in verse in chapter two, verse four, uh, we see God refer to himself now. So, so like in 2.4, it is specifically speaking about the creation of man and woman. We get into like the creation specifics about human beings right there in 2.4. Prior to 2.4, God has referred to himself in the Hebrew Elohim, right? God. You'll see that Like, it just says God. But then in 2.4, in relation to humanity, he refers to himself as the Lord God. He refers to himself as the Lord God, the covenant name of God, Yahweh Elohim. So this shows us, like, God is not just creating, putting things into motion, spinning it and walking away. God is personally involved. He is giving himself a covenantal name to people. As soon as we see people mentioned, right? As soon as we get into the the minutia of creating humanity, like God changes his name for the relationship that exists between us and him. There is distinction that God is the Creator and we are created, and yet we see even in His name He makes Himself known and accessible. Guys, that is beautiful. That is a beautiful reality for us. Now we see also um, in all of this creation narrative that we are created and charged to care for, manage, and govern creation. Verse 128, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, which, by the way, Matt and I have discussed this. We have accomplished that here at Liberty. We are filling the earth. Good job. You've done well. And fill the earth. But in so, and this is the hard part of filling the earth, subdue it. Subdue it. Um, Just ask anyone with kids. The subduing part is more difficult. The fruitful multiply is fun, but the subduing is, is more difficult. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and of every living thing that moves in the earth. He has given us pre fall a responsibility. This responsibility to subdue and have dominion over creation. is is something that is not a result of the fall. To work manage and to, uh, to produce and subdue your world is something that has come from the beginning. It gets more difficult because of the fall, but we've always been working as people. But it's important to notice here that God is doing this. God is blessing them. He's calling them to subdue it. He says, Behold, I have given you every plant. So even, even from the beginning, we see this distinction. We see this distinction in God creating and God challenging and, and, and putting humanity to task. Because he has given it. He is the provider. He is the sustainer. He is the one that will see things to completion. We are not just people who are, uh, you know, come in, kill, eat, destroy, um, and then move on to the next thing. No, humanity is cultivators. We we see things, and we need to build them up. This is why, like, some of, there's some of you are much better at this than I am, but, like, your yards are, like, pristine, right? I love it. And, and it, it invokes something in us, right, that that you're like, wow, that's a, that's a really nice yard. That is well done. Um, in fact, there are boroughs that actually give out awards, right, for people who manage like, their yards really well. My, my neighbors who are retired do this really, really well and make me look really, really bad. Uh, my grass is high, my shrubs need to be cut, uh, I just put mulch in for the first time in two years, so I mean, like it's, we're getting there, but it's slow, right? But we're cultivators. There's something inside of us that that wants to to subdue like what's around us, right? To create uh, a structure, to create roads, to create access to things. It's this thing that that drives us. I don't like even in this weather. Like there's people outside like with clippers clipping bushes, and I'm like it's 95 degrees outside. Why why are you doing that? It's something inside of us that just I don't know. It's innate because we have been given uh, from the beginning of creation a mandate to subdue and have dominion over creation. Now, these, these words to subdue, to manage, and to have do, to dominion over those things um, are for all of us. This is not a specific call to men. This is a call to humanity, men and women, to do this. Which brings us to our next point, which is the unique value of humanity over all of creation. Men and women, our doctrinal confessional statement will say, men and women equally made in the image of God enjoy equal access to God by faith in Christ Jesus and are both called to move beyond passive self-indulgence to significant private and public engagement in family, church, and civic life. Adam and Eve were made to complement each other in in a one flesh union that establishes the only normative pattern for sexual relations for men and women, such that marriage ultimately serves as a type of the union between Christ and his church. What we see in chapter two, verse 18, is we see that in in God's creation, in this unique value of humanity above all creation, both parties are necessary both men and women are necessary it says this in 2:18 then the lord said to, the, to then the lord god said it is not good that the man should be alone i will make a helper fit for him and if you go down to verse 23 and then man said in in seeing woman for the first time This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. What's helpful to see here is that God has initiated. He is the one who realized that it was not good for man to be alone. This is God's recognition of it. Many of us would like to rebel against this and, and would like to uh, remove ourselves sometimes uh, to, to become like the idea of like just becoming a hermit on a beachside kind of dive would be really, really appealing to some of us. You're like, I could do that. That's my retirement plan. I'm saving up for it. Uh, my wife can shop. I just want to be left alone. Like nobody talked to me. But it's not good God has said, it is not good that man should be alone. Uh, He says this because God in Himself is in a relationship. There's a triune God. And so being made in the image of God means that we imitate God in our need for relationship with other people. And so no amount of cats or dogs will ever. Take the place of the relational necessity of another human being in your life. That's the word of God. It's not good that man should be alone. Pets are no substitute for human interaction. Although fun, no substitute. God would be the one who would create a helper. A helper that was fit for man. Now we, if, if if you read this verse and you have any kind of critical lens on this or if you've had conversations with people who have a very critical um, lens on scripture have a have more of a feminist um, take on scripture, the word helper" here and fit for him would be a very offensive statement um, helper like I'm my own woman. I can do what I want um, I'm not here to help anyone well let me let me let me let me help define what helper is here helper um, is a word that we see repeated throughout scripture. Our perception is that help a helper is a second class role possibly i mean we have we have experiences that might dictate that we have relationships that might dictate that to be called a helper. We think of like even like the movie The Help. Um, we teach that uh, that to help somebody is not uh, to be an equal participant. Like they are the leader and there is someone else who is a helper. Like we'll even have volunteers and we have a role called helper. That does not mean that that person is less than in their value or or responsibility, but that is merely a term. And a term that is used, might I add, that God uses for himself. The God uses for himself a couple of places that I want to highlight real quickly. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Hebrews 4, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Deuteronomy 33, there is no one like the God of Jerusalem who rides the heavens to help you and his excellency is on the clouds. Psalm 110, you, God, are the helper of the fatherless. God has come alongside as helper. He even refers to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, the one who is coming to help you. To be a helper is not a subservient role. In fact, it is is really necessary to accomplish the task to have a helper. Um, God is our help. I would even go as far as saying to help is a divine is a divine attribute that we are to imitate to be fit for man was also one of the phrases that is used to describe woman Genesis 1:28 and God blessed them and he said to them be fruitful and multiply he says this and he gives them this charge fit for them, fit for what? Fit for the task that God has charged humanity with to subdue and have dominion over all of creation. This is not possible to do alone. It's not possible to do alone. To fulfill, to be fruitful and multiply is not possible to do alone. To subdue the earth is also not possible to do alone alone. To have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing is not possible to do alone. We have four children. It is not possible for us to parent alone. When we try, it just becomes chaos. And there's crying and yelling and cursing. And, and then I come home. these These are difficult. To subdue the earth is not to be done alone. To raise children is not to be done alone. People do it and it is extremely difficult. And praise God, may he have mercy upon mercy and grace upon grace. If you are in that role and you are raising children by yourself, may God bless you and keep you and sustain you. And may you find comfort in the people of the church in Christ's body here on earth that you do not feel alone, that you are not alone. May that be true of us as God's people, that we would step in as helpers, as helpers who help one another. It is difficult to raise children to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. So by God's grace, may we be the ones who help each other as Christ has helped us. God has called both men and women to do this work. It is a joint effort. One that Adam was not satisfied by doing alone. And God in God seeing that created Eve so that they can accomplish the task that God has for them, the goal that He has set before them. This is what we would call complementarianism. That's a big word, complementarianism, to complement one another. Um, the author, uh, Mary Kassan, I'm probably saying her last name wrong, or Kassan, who is part of coining the phrase complementarian, says this, a basic definition of complementarian is um, a person who believes that God created male and female to reflect complementary truths about Jesus. That's the bottom line meaning of the word. Complementarians believe that males were designed to shine the spotlight on Christ's relationship to the church and the Lord God's relationship to Christ in a way that females cannot. And that females were designed to shine a spotlight on the church's relationship to Christ and Christ's relationship to the Lord God in a way that males cannot. Who we are as male and female is ultimately not about us it's about testifying to the story of Jesus. We do not get to dictate what manhood and womanhood are all about. Our creator does. We have been each given distinct roles and abilities. And it, but this is also not something let me I want to clarify real quick. This is also something that is not just accomplished in a marriage relationship. Okay? So if you are single, um, this is what Scripture is what teaching us here is not just about the marriage relationship, but it is about the roles of men and women and the necessity for both to accomplish these things. Without either party, we cannot fully accomplish this because we do not fully reflect all that God is. We're missing a part of the reflective attributes of God without those other um, genders in our life. This will bring us to our third point, the uniqueness of both male And female, and I've got to hurry up. Our doctrinal confessional statement says that it is in God's wise purposes that men and women are not simply interchangeable but rather they complement each other in mutually enriching ways. God ordains that they uh, assume distinctive roles which reflect the loving relationship between Christ and the church. And the husband exercises headship in a way that displays the caring, sacrificial love of Christ and the wife submitting to her husband in a way that models the love of the church for her Lord. In the ministry of the church, both men and women are encouraged to serve Christ to be developed in their full potential in the manifold ministries of the people of God. The distinctive leadership roles within the church given to qualified men is grounded in creation, fall, and redemption, and must not be sidelined by appeals to cultural development. In the creation of male and female, and man and woman, Adam rejoices. So this is at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And in verse 24 of chapter 2, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. If we were to take the average man and the average woman and stood them next to each other, there would be obvious, distinct differences. And both in their, uh, well, primarily what we would see is is in, in their physical appearance. But what's not obvious by appearances are the way in which men and women operate. Many of you who have been in a relationship or in a relationship, you know that your spouse operates and thinks differently than you do. Ergo conflict. This is is something that is not surprising. It shouldn't be surprising to us, but um, this this is how we are made. These places that God has directed um, in His creation to be distinct are distinct for both men and women. It's important for us to also see that God uh, is not laying clearly um, out, not, not clearly laying out um, what men and women should do occupationally or professionally. Um, these are things that are left open because these things are open to, Really, the the conversations and relationships and context of of the men and women involved. Uh, Going back to the distinction that God places in the family and the church, we do see that male headship or leadership is required for these two places, both in the home and in the church. We see God's reasoning for this in 1 Timothy 2:13, where he says, For Adam was formed first and then Eve. He is referring to the created order in which God uh, in that conversation in heaven had to discuss the design of humanity in the particular ways that he would be able to create and also create for the flourishing of humanity. So his flourishing intention created them in a particular order. Uh, This does not mean that women are not to lead. Or as the verse before 1 Timothy uh, 2 12 indicates that women are not permitted to teach at all. No, we see throughout scripture that women are taking and take roles as leaders, deacons, disciples, business owners, and theologians. They teach. We would affirm that these gifts and abilities, um, but we would say with deep conviction that these things are um, under the headship of of the husband at home and under the headship of uh, male elders and pastors in the church. This is what uh, men are called to. Uh, I heard uh, someone once say that like, if men were not called to these roles, they would never step into these roles. Um, it is because God has to call men into these roles um, because God desires for male leadership uh, to be there because men need to raise up and rise up to the occasion. This is why we see, uh, I think, predominantly throughout uh, at least Western culture right now, um, in in our educational system, we see a disproportionate amount of women teachers than we do male teachers because sometimes I I believe um, that men think that they are above teaching children. Uh, You will also see this reflected sometimes in the church and in classes uh, in the church where men uh, are a disproportionately small amount of volunteers in children's ministry. Um, Men, let me challenge you. to to rise to the occasion, to teach and to train. It is the the husband's role to be the spiritual leader in the home. Do not not allow yourself to just fall by the wayside and use the excuse of exhaustion. I too many times do that and I see the results of that in my own family and my relationships with my children. My children need my leadership. Your children need your spiritual leadership, your headship in home. You're not just the disciplinarian. You're the spiritual head of your family. This is what God has designed from the beginning for you to be. Step into that role and do it. We see this because it is good for us. God calls us to us to this because it is good for us for human flourishing and for us as families and God's people. I will say that there is, as much as there is a distinction in these specific roles, um, it does take men and women submitting to Christ fully to subdue the earth and have dominion over it, both in the home and in the church. And I would say even in our communities, We need to see men and women working together for the care of our community, for the people in our community and in our world. Our children need this and the world needs this. It needs both men and women using their distinct abilities, their distinct giftedness for the glory of God in our world to redeem and restore it. The difficulty in this comes with our final point, the brokenness that exists. Um, the brokenness that exists is—I uh, I feel like today, uh, right in front of us, constantly. Um, as far as uh, what the roles of men and women are, and, and some of the um, inconsistencies that exist there, some of the um, the, the really kind of what the, the confessional statement will say um, is that men and women equally made in the image of God are, are called to move beyond passive self-indulgence. And this passive self-indulgence is really us not taking the roles that we're called to and, one, and needing sometimes and sometimes wanting to take over all the roles that exist. This brokenness exists, um, this brokenness exists because of what we see in the next chapter uh, of Genesis in chapter 3. Uh, and real quickly, we see this laid out um, in the fall of creation, when the serpent comes into the garden. The serpent comes into the garden, and what God had established is that God's word is this—the authority—and then Adam being the, the 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 head of the family, and then Eve, both he uh, both, and then Eve submitting to Adam, and then both of them having. Authority over creation. This is the order of how God ordered things. God, Adam, Adam and Eve over creation. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3? We see creation come in, we see the serpent come in, we see Eve question Adam. So creation is subverting and, 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 and coming over the headship of Eve, Eve coming over the headship of Adam, and both of them coming o- over the headship, or all three of them even, coming over the headship and leadership of God's word. So we see a reversal of roles, a complete reversal of roles, what happens in, in chapter 3, which leads to the fall of humanity, which leads to rebellion. So in any time uh, that we see this, and this, this manifests itself in so many different ways, friends, it manifests itself uh, in our relationships, it manifests our, itself uh, in our world and in our created order, the reversal of roles, things that are out of order which God has established to be good for human flourishing. There is, this, is a, this, is a, um, this is what happens constantly. And this leads to abuse and neglect in the home and in the church and in the world. These are the, the ways in which God has structured the creation of humanity for our good, for his glory. Biblical manhood and womanhood is not a, uh, a, a characterization of what we see today. It is, um, it is not, biblical manhood is not guys getting together on Harleys, drinking beer and shooting guns. That's not biblical manhood. Biblical womanhood is not June Cleaver, uh, pregnant in the kitchen, baking things all day. We don't see that throughout Scripture. Let that not be our narrative. Our narrative for Scripture is that men and women, both submitting to Christ, wives submitting to their husbands, and both of them doing the work of, of subduing and managing creation together, both are necessary. So let us not be overwhelmed and overtaken by the ways that culture shapes and tells us how men and women should be. Let us be informed and transformed by God's uh, design and role for us. This is what a redeemed people do. We allow God's word to dictate for us what is true about us. And let us be a part of the redemption of humanity. Let me pray for us, Father. It is uh, by your grace that we uh, we are we are called children of God. Uh, you have created each of us with distinct value and importance. You have gifted us and designed us in ways that are unique to complement one another. Uh, that we may accomplish for you um, that which you have tasked us with. God, it is a weighty task, but you don't just put things into motion and require things of us that you are not yourself willing to be the helper in. So God, as you help us, help us to submit to you, uh, guide us, direct us, and Lord, give us more faith. It's in your name we pray. Amen.